Hello again, everybody, and thanks again for listening to another episode of The Modern Agilist, where all things agile and delivery are examined and discussed. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. And regardless of wherever you are in your expertise of agile, beginner or expert, Rick, Justice, and myself, Mike, want to help you become equipped, empowered, and prepared to master large-scale software delivery. In this episode, we interview Director and Program Manager Bruce Gay. Bruce has managed large-scale programs that include both technical and business change with the aim of improving organizational performance. He enjoys bringing order out of chaos and spends time with leaders to study and learn from their successes and failures. Bruce also publishes a monthly briefing on project management. If you're interested, you can sign up for regular access at brucegay.com forward slash sign up forward slash. Over the past decade, Bruce has managed product teams that incorporated UX design and design thinking methodologies into their product development processes. Bruce has also shared his leadership and experience in telecommunications, software defense, R&D, international development, healthcare, and insurance. We hope you enjoy this interview with Bruce. Bruce, can you kind of talk about a little bit about who you are and what your stick is and what you're plugged into? Hey, thanks, uh, Justin and Rick, for having me on your podcast. So, yes, my name is Bruce Gay. I'm a, a longtime project manager. Um, I'm currently director of program management at UPMC Enterprises. I help manage a small PMO team for our um, internal uh, projects, as well as some of the activities we do with our portfolio companies. Um, and as Justin, Justice mentioned, I am very um, active with the Project Management Institute's sort of global uh, activities. I um, About six years ago, I started doing webinars and presentations and um, mainly to get over my fear of public speaking. And so I started doing that for the local PMI chapters and a couple webinars and found that I liked doing it. And so my um, my uh, activities have grown since to where I have about one presentation or webinar a month now for various organizations around the world. Um, I've been most interested in the intersection between project management and design thinking, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that um, given the topic of this podcast. But um, that started about seven or eight years ago, and I realized that you know, my teams were seeing some really good results when they were applying human-centered design, also known as design thinking, to the methodologies that they were using to develop the software and services. And um, the, yeah, the past year and a half during COVID, um, I've been doing a lot of virtual presentations and virtual workshops. I'm looking forward to the day that we can uh, get back to being in person, um, you as a presenter, I, I truly um, I build off the energy from the room, and it's it's um, it's very different being sort of a talking head in front of a camera sometimes, um, knowing that your audience is out there, but you don't always know um, how they're reacting to things. But um, I truly enjoy working with um, project managers, program managers. Um, the Agile community, um, even the business analysis community, I've gotten more involved in. So that's a pretty high level, um, other than I've been a project manager my whole career. I'm one of the few people that that is the work I've done. Um, most people either graduate or sort of get told to be project managers. And, um, and, and that's, that's uh, my story is much different. It's sort of what I started doing right out of college. So. That's my story and I'll stick to it. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Before we get into some of the design thinking stuff, I just want to pause and, you know, you you said that you started doing public speaking because you were afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And, awesome. you know, that, it, it makes me think um, there's like some deep stuff and Tim Ferriss, he's someone who talks about this and like the obstacle is the way. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, did this, has this, method or approach like manifest itself in other places of your life or was this kind of like your first foray into like this is the thing i'm terrified of doing so i'm going to go to it and then not only did you do it 
but then you found like, I really enjoy doing this. Like that's a turn of events. Yeah, no, no. So the, um, the quote you had there with the, you know, the, the, um, what is the challenge is the, is the yeah. way or the, the obstacle that, is the way. Yeah. yeah. That I never heard that until about a year ago. And that exactly fits. Um, I didn't know other than I knew for me to advance my career, I had to be better presenting in front of large groups, pre presenting in front of executives. Um, otherwise I'd be relegated to the back room and someone else would be, you know, doing the the updates and the the persuasion with um, the executives. And so I knew that it would help my career. And I think what really helped me was I enjoyed the act of coming up with the content, trying to discern how do I present the material in a way that will stick with um, the audience and the learners. And so, uh, and then obviously the in-person um, uh, pr presentations, the, the, I, the, there's positive feedback. There is definite energy. And you'll hear this from performers too. There's definite um, energy from being in front of an audience as the artist or presenter. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. So that's yeah, that's sort of where I went with it. I, I was just thinking, and I mean this in the best way. I'm, I, I was just thinking sometime Bruce, it seems like what you're doing and other very successful people who are, are able to present ideas and you know translate a thought, basically, there's a little bit of marketing going on there too. A little bit of mm -hmm. little research study and how do I do this the best way for this audience? So yeah, no, definitely. That that's I um I have a, a workshop that I teach on how to craft um presentations for the boardroom. Mm. And that is a really big thing. When when we're doing presentations for conferences or for our colleagues, or we go to a tech conference, the style of our conferences are, are one way. When we turn around and need to give this to leadership of our companies or um, you know leadership of other companies that we're selling to, you, you do have to step back and think about your audience quite a bit. So um, yeah, Rick, I've, I've done a lot of thinking on how do you how do you present the information both with words and graphics and pictures mm -hmm. so that it sticks? And I've had some really good mentors. Um, I think you guys will recall like uh, Dr. Rasu Shrestha when he was oh, working yeah. with us. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. He had an excellent presentation style. And I think he's one of the people that I've tried to emulate his um, his presentations and the uh, associated um, slides and, and graphics that he had were just, just, they hit, they, they were awesome. And so he's one of the, you know, he, he's my hero. He's one of the people that I aspire to sort of be able to, um, uh, present like, because he, he was able to take very complex ideas and, um, present them in a way that it drew you into it and aligned with his, um, with the direction that he was trying to present. So have you heard of that book too, um, Bruce called made to stick? I have heard of it. I haven't, I haven't, um, read it yet. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, it's a good book. I, it's really interesting, but it, just some of the stuff that you're, you're, uh, you're mentioning kind of reminds me of that, that whole mentality too. That's great. Awesome. On that, on that leadership thing I was looking into, it was like a leadership school of sorts, uh, I won't say the exact name or whatever, but the program and like the certification you had to be recommended. And I think it was like $15,000 to go to it, whatever. And the first thing that you step through as a part of that school was this kind of presentation, mm -hmm. uh, creating and, and giving them. And that really stuck mm -hmm. in my mind. I was like, wow, this is interesting. These better be some good presentations. <laughs> yeah, no. And, 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 you know, I've over the past five, seven years, I've had a chance to, interact, network, and talk to a lot of different people in our profession across the world. And, you know, for us to get better, um, obviously, we we need to understand, um, you know, how the Agile methods and, and, and associate methods like Kanban and Lean are important, but also storytelling. That That is a space where I think project managers um, are not always best equipped to be good storytellers. But if you observe executives and leaders, you will see that they're very good at storytelling. And um, that is, it's definitely a space that if you want to move up in your career, um, building your storytelling ability 
something I'm still working on, but that is, that's definitely, that'll help your, your career. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so shift, shifting, uh, shifting gears a little bit. Um, we could probably go on and talk this entire show on this particular topic alone. And I've already taken down a personal little note here that I want to attend your border and president, your workshop on presentation. So I'll follow <laughs> you, follow up with that, uh, follow you up on Definitely. that after. Um, specifically, um, this design thinking, um, this is something that I'm not real educated on, not schooled. Mm -hmm. When, when I first heard about design thinking, um, and, and, and we approached you about possibly coming on the show to kind of unpack what that means and how that can be applied and where it's going. The only thing that came to my mind was the two giant um, um, uh, diamonds next to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that was pretty much the extent of my understanding. In preparation for this talk, I, I dug a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to get what we the, the most we can out of our remaining time to kind of uh, get from you. Uh, what is it and how it came about and, and why you think it's important? Yeah, no, no, good, good questions. And I'm glad you've done a little bit of digging. Um, there's a lot of information out on the internet about design thinking. And what I try to do is specifically tailor my presentations toward an audience of project managers, scrum masters, business analysts, uh, product owners, because um, the way that we, um, need to interpret design thinking, we're actually doing some of the best practices from the, the human-centered design world. We just may not have the same terminology, the same vocabulary, but then there are also additional things that we're not doing that we could actually do better. So um, let, me, let me step back and just give sort of a, a very broad history. Um, one could say that architecture is the grandfather of uh, design thinking. So if you think about what an architect does, they will meet with a client, get to understand their needs, why they need the, the building or the um, landscaping or what, what's needed to be built. They also study what is the environment around this particular um, structure that they're going to be building. And then also what's the intended use of, of the structure. And, and typically, you know, most um, architects will start building models. Um, traditionally, that's been out of some sort of lightweight wood or other material. Nowadays, everything is sort of um, 3D and CAD, and it's it's very very electronic based. But the short is is that um, architects take the time to understand their client, their client's needs, and the environment. They take those requirements and needs and goals, and then start doing some modeling of that. Typically, that model is then brought back to either the client, and if it's a say a public um, type of building, it the public gets a chance to weigh in, and then from that, the architects take the feedback and make adjustments to the final design. Now, what I've just described to you there is is sort of following the um, the general path of design thinking. Um, not, not necessarily how it's been implemented in the last 10 years, but that is the process, which is understand your, your customer and your client as best as you can, start to build some prototypes, test the prototypes, and then down select on a final, um, a final uh, uh, design. So what I try to explain to folks is that it, you know, what architects do is essentially um, what, what we're doing in design thinking. Then in the 1950s, you start hearing about design and how it's applied to consumer products, cars, um, uh, things that we buy at the store. And that's not necessarily the design thinking that we know today. It's more of product design. That evolved further into businesses looking at how design can help um, sell their products better. Um, and, and then you start getting into a whole series of um, design agencies, um, IDEO, which is spelled I-D-E-O, is one of the more um, famous ones um, because they actually sort of coined the, the term design thinking. And, and they, in fact, took the process that designers would do 
and applied it to the business sense. And then that's that's sort of where we have it now in our general product development world. Um, now, what the way I define design thinking for my audiences is that it's a practical user-centered methodology that is really for getting um, immediate feedback and it's it's to help you solve a problem. And th when you step back, this is ultimately, it's a problem solving methodology is, is what it all is. But it, it really is, um, it has users at the center. So you shouldn't be building something without truly understanding your users, your clients, your customers, and then taking that understanding and coming up with a bunch of ideas and then taking some of those ideas, turning them into prototypes that can be tested back with the customers. And then from there, you can iterate and um, and and come to a final uh, design, which you know may be built at the, in, simultaneously or maybe in, in a more traditional waterfall project built after the design is um, is in place. And so some of the the affinities that that design thinking has with with agile, you start to see where you know small increments, um, testing, retesting with with the intended users, and um, you know getting taking the time to get to know your users. So I, I've seen you know agile and design thinking work very well. Um, it does get a little complex. The say you're using Scrum and you've got multiple Scrum teams, there is some complexity there in how you layer in and and you know actually um implement the design thinking in parallel with the the scrum method but it, it can be done and, and i've seen it done pretty well and you know what, what yeah. you've seen with the double diamond mm -hmm. this came out of the british council of design and what they were trying to show is that designers have both the um they take the research they've done and they go broad and that's where the diamond gets wide and this is sort of in a, a sort of a brainstorming phase and then you um close the diamond is really when you're testing with prototypes is is sort of what what at a high level that that's how you have the uh the two pieces there so you know uh you you mentioned that company ido or mm -hmm. i think i'm saying it right but um I thought it was interesting and digging into this topic a little bit, I thought, man, I've heard that before. And I remembered when I was in school in 2009 for computer programming, we watched a video and it's a, you know, it's the famous video of this is IDEO. I think it was like 60 minutes or something. And it's them designing a shopping cart. Uh -huh. um, and it, the, the video is, it, it looks pretty old now, right? Like if you find it on YouTube, it's awesome though, to get a vibe of that place. It, it looks like a, like a, tech nerds, creative, uh, eccentric uh, mm -hmm. paradise, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and and they're the, I remember at the time, their biggest claim to fame was like literally invented the computer mouse for Steve Jobs. You know, the, um, the, the Apple uh, Lisa computer was mm -hmm. the first computer with a user interface and Steve Jobs came to IDEO, David Kelly, he said, we need a mouse that's simple works this is and this is what they came up with so i would consider that a you know a historical claim to fame and they they kind of use these methods to arrive at that at mm -hmm. that destination right it, it, uh, and and to that point real quick justice i just want to jump in something that i was looking at and how you can combine for example design thinking and I'm just picking one out of Agile, right? Scrum methodology, right? And a lot of times you'll hear the design thinking approach can kind of be a precursor, right? Where you deliver a essentially a prototype or something like that, i.e. a mouse. Um, and then the after that point, you kind of understand what you needed and how it might look and what it might do. Here's the here's the prototype. Now to deliver it and to iterate over it, we move into more of a traditional Scrum process. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's that's something that's kind of been that I've stumbled upon as I was digging into this a little bit. So you've you've got design process kind of feeding some more traditional agile approaches, kind of on the the as a precursor on the front end, you know, feeding into some mm -hmm. backlogs for delivery. Yeah, no, and that I've seen it work that way um, as a as a 
you know, a manager of teams, the difficulty there is how do you find the time to spend enough to get to know your customers? Right. It's like quite often sprint zero isn't, isn't long enough for that. And um, what we did on one of the programs we had was that, um, you know, we'd spend the first cycle, let's just call it sprint one, um, doing user research and coming up with some draft designs. Then they'd use sprint two to start to um, prototype those designs. And um, they would, they were still paper prototypes. And then by sprint three, you were having um, developers, um, you know, coding some level of, of functionality, which then in sprint four would be turned around and tested. And so, um, you know, the, 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 in, in the first two cycles, the development teams are sort of waiting for something, but then by the third, um, they would actually have, um, you know, the, they would, they would have the designs and working prototypes, which could be turned around and, and shared with the, with the users at that point. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it seems like, you know, one of the big misses on this is you, there's this emphasis, you even call it a, another term for design thing is user centric. Did you use say that? Yes. User centered yeah. design is the observational piece. Because in in agile methods and agile delivery circles, usually it's about, you know, we think we have a theory, let's build something and then let's kind of see how it's received. Now we'll have another theory and make a small change and do that. And, you know, even though it's talked about, it doesn't seem like it is a very broad or common practice to actually observe users Mm -hmm. using the thing, which seems like a massive miss. Um, Yeah. and that's key to design thinking. The first step, they use the word empathy. So that that's their shorthand for saying, um, understand the deep needs um, of your users, their environment, and um, start to, you know, there's still a, a you know, you're building a thesis, but you're at least getting closer to the problem. And you're saying, we think this is the problem that needs to be solved before the, you know, development teams get involved. And, and so, it's it's a I think it's much more informed by the problem space, um, and in in a way you're you're catching, you're going further upstream in a way um, rather than waiting to do a a sprint review and then having a you know a user group go well yeah that's nice but that we've got this bigger problem over here on this side. So um, how would you? Uh you know, someone hears this and they're like, um, you know, I want to do this. What does this look like from a standpoint? Let's say there is, there's a functional agile team. They have a, um, they have a product and they said, you know what, guys, we want to close the gap on, Mm -hmm. on this. How would you suggest they begin to implement that into their standard cadence? What would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't have, um, you know, hard specifics but i mean the thing the first thing to do and i I always tell this to the project managers because typically they have their eyes on the budget and the schedule you know find the time and the money to go and spend time with your users um you know and and fight for that and and that that may be hard if you're sort of jumping into the train as it's already running but um you know if if it's a new product development it should be pretty clear okay let's let's take some some, you know, a thesis that we have or, or areas that we think we want to move into and then spend the time to do the user research. So that's that's step one is spending the time to make sure that you can um, understand the problem space and the problems of your users. Um, the second is, is that um, you want to continue to engage with those users. So build enough time for iterative testing. Um, you know, don't wait until, you know, five, five cycles in, you sort of want to start testing with uh, as soon as you can. So like, um, having a sprint review, um, double as, you know, a solid feedback, um, on the usability of your, your product or service that, that is actually, you know, one of the other areas that I would say I would, I would want to beef up. And then, um, third is giving space for your team one of the things that designers do very well is 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 they take 
the information they have and they start to think wide and, you know, possibilities and future possibilities. And, you know, they start looking at what's the most optimal um, solution to a problem. And, and you need to be able to give time to your teams. Quite often, traditional projects, you're handed a, a thick stack of requirements. We know that. And it's and then you're like, OK, implement this. And you're not really given much leeway. Um, so in a way, it, it give the team the space to understand the problem, but then also to think about the problem and solutions that could solve that without having leadership or strong voices dictate the direction they should go in. So I hope hope those three areas are, are helpful there. Yeah, you mentioned something that triggered triggered an idea. One of the things that came up in this design thinking was this idea of possibilities mm -hmm. and that design thinking can be used to take us out of our preconceived notions. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the quotes I read, it said that, you know, humans are not capable of imagining things that are that they're not believed to be possible. Right. It's not maybe they're not incapable, but it's not the normative way we think. We think within mm -hmm. certain constraints. And then if you can temporarily suspend those constraints about what is perceived to be possible and impossible, that opens up, that's that's a breakthrough mechanic or pattern mm -hmm. that can help a, a team come up with something like produce something that says, wow, this is awesome. And no one would have thought about this if we were thinking along the same um, constraints, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And so one, one of the areas that, that it's an element of design thinking is they encourage multidisciplinary um, collaboration. And it, it hits on what you just mentioned there, Justice, slightly, which is, okay, you want to get as many different types of thinkers in the room. And that sort of um, the interactions between those individuals are going to produce something much better than something that would be, quote unquote, groupthink. And, um, and, and so that's, that's one thing I've seen that happen where having, um, you know, people who do testing, people who are business analysis, um, individuals that are even finance and legal who may not, you know, they may have fresh eyes on what you're trying to do. will say, well, have you thought about this? And, and as you noted, it, it often just takes one comment from someone to, um, sort of turn the light on for other people. Now, the other thing you mentioned, which is, you know, being able to think of 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 ideas and, and things that are, you know, the realm of possibility. I'm I'm not an expert here, but designers have many methods that go beyond just the normal brainstorming to um, come up with, you know, to encourage that. They've I've seen cases where, you know, they've they, they, they may come off as as funny games, but you you do things that would you know, spur the creative juices to come up with different ideas, or you put um, very interesting or unrealistic constraints on what you're trying to think about. Um, and and that that comes up with a different result as well. So there, these are all um, techniques. They're small, short activities that can be done with teams. And, um, you know, someone just needs to go out, lots of free material on the internet, IDEO, um, and uh, the Stanford School of Design have have a lot of these out there, and you just can pick and choose how you want to um, use it with your teams. So, Bruce, Justice, I have a, I have a uh, two things I kind of wanted to kind of dive into a little bit with regard to this. Um, uh, one of them's a little bit far out, I think, but I just wanted to kind of you know, say it and see what you guys thought. But um, and the other one is more along the lines of you know uh, some practical analysis of design thinking versus some traditional things. Um, but let's start with the, the far out thing. Guys will indulge me uh, for a minute. Um, I was was looking a little bit more into, you know, design thinking and some of the stuff that, you know, we've been discussing and just, you know, you know no pun intended thinking about it. And it, it strikes me is that this whole mentality, maybe not design thinking, has been around since at least, um, you know, I think it was the uh, the fifth century BC, um, and so I, I remember a while back I had read a little bit of the book called "The Art of War." It's an ancient Chinese book, mm -hmm. um, 
sure a lot of people are familiar with that but um i started just kind of jotting down my thoughts on you know design thinking and some of the stuff that you're saying you know aligned to some of the stuff that i was gathering you know looking and learning a little bit more about it but you know when you draw parallels between you know real real uh real real high level you know and again i'm paraphrasing the book but you know in in the art of war you've got laying plans and waging war declaring war right and that kind of is the, the empathizing and understanding a problem right and, and i think um i've heard people talk and i'm sure if you dug a little bit more into the book you you understand that it's understanding your enemy now i'm not saying people who are going to use a tool are your enemy but understanding what it is that you're trying to do or who it is that you're trying to approach with something right and then you've got planning and maneuvering troops and you're just like in design thinking, you're developing solutions, right? Variations mm -hmm. of tactics, right? You're prototyping and testing things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you're attacking eventually, you're shipping it, right? And then one interesting thing too, and this is where we we, we look, you know, post design thinking or, or even uh, if you're just using a traditional agile method, a lot of times you want that feedback loop too. So in the art of war, you talk about spies, right? And uh, that's that feedback. Okay, how's it going? It's out there in the wild. How's it going? Right. And so maybe before you implement full deliveries, you know, some sort of scale of delivery with a traditional agile approach, you know, like we talked about a few minutes ago, or even if it's out there fully in the wild, you want to be able to iterate over that. So you're getting that feedback too. So it's just interesting, you know, when we when we set things up almost like uh like in the design thinking methodology, right? Or just as if we're going to attack something some key things i mean this is a a revered book a revered studies have been done about the art of war right it's you know laying that plan and understanding what you're doing right getting that information like you said bruce and then maneuvering and how you're going to go about it and then eventually going and and setting something out there and then getting that feedback i think it all kind of aligns really interestingly yeah i love that i i don't think i've seen um that connection made before but I, I i think it's definitely there um you mm -hmm. one thing that came to my mind as you were talking through that i think a lot of people and even the general public they see design thinking as oh it's innovation it's all about innovation it's about being creative and really ultimately when i when i when i try to explain this to you know project managers and project leaders it's it's a problem solving technique and, mm -hmm. and so everything you just walked through there with the art of war in Sun Tzu, mm -hmm. it is, you know, you, you're, you're trying to, um, uh, you, you've got a known or an unknown problem and you're trying to um, work to address it. And, and yeah, it, it's less about the um, being creative and more about how can we solve problems? And that, that, is, that is how I try to steer people thinking about design thinking. Mm -hmm. awesome. you, Rick, something you mentioned there that really caught my attention in our award, there's a quote in there and it really touches on fundamentally what I think the, the, the first issue is, and that's the empathy. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote, it says like, if you, when you truly understand your enemy, they cease to be your enemy. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, not to hang on that, on that word enemy. Right. But it, it is easy to get frustrated with the user. <laughs> okay like yeah. why, why are you clicking this button click this other button quit going up there you know what i mean yeah. um <laughs> yeah you, you understand you, why they're doing that yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and then as soon as you <laughs> as soon as you perceive yourself like i am the user and this is why i'm going there because it's the biggest button and that's where it should be right there not over here right yeah it changes some decisions that are even made too right mm -hmm, when you, when mm -hmm. you understand. yeah but that 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 empathy piece is um is deep and um it, it's ultimate touches on that like the how why it's called this is user-centered design you know yeah no and, and i mean I, i've seen in my career um there have been multiple um projects i've worked on where um we've developed and pushed out technical solutions that don't quite match up with what our user base needs or we've overcomplicated it and and the other thing that i've learned personally from design thinking and you know this is just getting ideas out and getting them into some sort of prototype form and getting a reaction to it is it's pretty awesome i mean it's it's almost like you don't need to wait for the perfect if it's 60 to 80 percent done get it out and and you know that that will that will elicit reactions from people. So now, um, even in my own personal 
deliverables that I have, um, I'm not there polishing it to the hundred percent. I'm I'm getting it to a seventy-five percent, and then soliciting feedback from you know my audience or my peers at, at that point. So it's it's uh, but yeah, the empathy, understanding the audience, your clients, your customers, and yeah, you truly at some point you fall in love with them. That's the interesting thing. I I recall the programs I've been on. The more you get to know people, you're like, yeah, I totally understand why they have that pain. I totally understand why they're frustrated and I totally understand how we can make it better for them. So it's, it's um, yeah, it brings both the project team and the, the user base closer together. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question about, you know, this is something that, um, that our, our Rick, myself and Mike are recently going to be trying to unpack is this psychological safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. how, practically how any ideas on how you overcome because this design thinking doesn't happen in a vacuum it happens often in organizations yeah. with a hierarchy and mm -hmm. you know the the term that comes to mind is something called the abilene paradox right where and i think the story is that a whole family ends up going on a family vacation no one in the family wants to go on the vacation mm -hmm. but they kind of think that everyone else is excited and wants to go so the entire crew uh ends up um falling victim to uh moloch the god of broken discord uh, uh, broken mm -hmm. um planning right yeah, um yeah. And, and so how do you do that just real quick examples some time ago was in a, a large um event there were a, a ton of people there everyone was engaged and talking until the, the very end someone asked a question they said if you could ask anyone in the organization a question what would you ask them and the room fell silent right and i could feel the lack of psychological safety in that moment because up mm -hmm. to that point many people were engaged in stuff but um you know how do you break through to these discoveries and design thinking in this yeah, context yeah. That is a difficult, um, I, I think as, as a project leader, I've, I've always felt it was my job to create an environment that individual can come together and do their best. Um, I, I think I've got experience with smaller groups, so smaller teams and making environments, uh, the psychological safety, um, you know, good for smaller teams. I think what you just referenced there, Justice, might have been a much larger uh, group that that does get difficult, um, and and I think for for teams though you you know we're there's there's best practices around how you run meetings. So some of that is setting setting the stage as to how we're going to behave in in a meeting together, and you know allowing everyone to speak, allowing everyone to have their mind. Um, there's also techniques that humans and their um, design and, and designers bring. Where and I, I'm sure you use this in your retrospectives, where people can individually and anonymously write down notes and then post that somewhere, whether it's virtual or physical, and then the teams review those, not knowing who the author was, but they're valid data points. And so there's ways that you can solicit um, data and, and feedback from people anonymously and have the group work on it as a whole. Um, but I, I think setting especially for teams setting the upfront expectation that this, you know, we are one team, we need to work together. We are going to have squabbles like any family, but at the same time, you know, setting, setting the ground rule for that, stepping back to something much larger. Yeah. There's always someone that, that, you know, we want to, we sort of want to ask the question, you know, why aren't we going in this business direction or why is it that we always have these types of failures or, why is it that there's particular burnout in this situation? It, it's it gets more difficult when you've when you've got much larger groups. I, I don't have a solution for that, but I think there we we have enough tools as leaders to um, help create these smaller spaces of psychological um, you know uh, safety. And I I personally have not had any training in it. It's sort of just been self learned. So I know I'm probably a novice, and I know that. There's, it, it is definitely a skill set for the future that people should be looking at. 
just one small comment about how you mentioned the, you know, introducing a mechanic for anonymous and non-anonymous comments mm -hmm. in a retro. I have taken advantage of that mechanic and myself offered anonymous feedback in a retro and got <laughs> dogpiled and people asking at the end who wrote this and i have been completely silent i think i was i think i asked that before of something you would not <laughs> yes. and only revealed much later to a smaller group like yeah. i did it and they were like you wrote. i was like yes I did. it was a but, good comment know, it was a good comment you you it was you know you you were good you helped move the the, the group from point A to point B. Otherwise, they would have sort of, they would have been stuck at an earlier, you know, they would have not have matured. I'm sure, you know, it might have been discomfort. Uh, there might have been some level of discomfort, but you, you know, there's a lot of um, training out there and material about how to have the candid conversations with your teams. And you you do, you need to, sometimes you need to be the tough person and, and bring up some stuff like that in the room. Um, in order to help the team advance and move beyond where they are. So yeah, good. I mean, it's, yeah, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna have a guessing game. Like who's, who's, whose comment was that? There's always going to be that in the room too. I felt like I was wearing a mask hiding and I wasn't taking it off. That was it. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that guy with the mask on. Yeah. <laughs> but your, your team, did they advance further than they would have had that not been put up there? There were definitely was some good conversation, right? I, at least I'm thinking of one time that you did it. Sorry, Justice. Yeah, it, but... it, it, crazily enough, there were a bunch of upvotes, but the 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 question that became the sticky point was who wrote the original, and yeah. so I was I felt a little justified in it. Other people obviously agreed, but you know th that was the first time that I'd ever done something like anonymously in that context and taken mm -hmm. advantage of that, and then at no point revealed. <laughs> yeah. So no, I mean and. and... There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure that's a technique they'll teach to, you know, managers to do. Because, um, mm -hmm. yeah, you have to, sometimes you have to interject that additional um, data and or question to to get the team to grow. So, yeah, good. So, Bruce, I have one other thing, um, and this is kind of my other, my other thing that I mentioned before. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's many real world examples and things that um, you can talk about specifically about the benefits of design thinking and how that has increased the, you know, the, the value delivered by teams. Um, but ha has there been any, you know, prominent studies done of teams who've implemented this, this type of design thinking and, and saw, uh, you know, better feedback or delivered more effectively or something like that? Um, outside of you know examples that that can be discussed here i mean is, is there anything that has been done specifically study-wise yeah there's um there's there's actually quite a bit of um uh case studies on say new new um new product development mm -hmm. it, it works very well with new product development um it also works well with with um they call them wicked problems but let's just say that these are these are complex problems that you know, you're not going to just solve um, with a single team. Um, I think that's less, um, you know, one of these that falls into that, a, a wicked problem right now could be climate change. And, and mm -hmm. that is such a large systemic thing that it, it it's almost needs to be broken into different parts to tackle. But mm -hmm. so so new new um, new product development is one. Um, there, there have been, um, a really good one that I talked to people about GE healthcare had a, um, series of, um, MRI and CT scanners and about seven or eight years ago, um, you know, these were top of the line. Um, they were being used in children's hospitals. Well, as you can imagine, the children were extremely frightened by these machines and the noise they made. And, um, it took one of their top notch, um, engineers to go to a hospital and just see the reaction from the children and the fact that they were being um, they were being given um, anesthesia and other calming drugs, um, which obviously cost money too, to the children just to have their scans done. And he um, he was able to work through um, a design thinking cycle, and they improved the entire sort of um, experience with these um, scanning machines by turning them into stories and adventures. And so the, the, it's called the adventure series. And so some of these have like um, pirate boats, 
they're painted on them or they're stickers or you know the 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 oh, nurses and the technologists will dress up as pirates to come get the children and say okay let's lay still here we're going to we're going to put you you know and and don't look at the fish and it's 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 stuff like that so they sort of they they help the whole thing has a theater around it where they're um transporting the children from the hospital setting into this other adventurous setting and so that one um even here in, in at children's hospital pittsburgh we mm -hmm. have we have these and um if, if you've got children you've seen how some of the rooms um even in other units are are they're brightly colored there's painting on the floor and all around that, that there's a lot of that came out of you know people looking at what what is it that we can calm our children with without having to drug them mm -hmm. before they go and do these these um, interventions and stuff sure there there is research on the other side too um uh that was done maybe uh 10 10 12 years ago about what happens when um design thinking doesn't stick within an organization so just just like um you know many new business um uh processes it it, it often you know not every company is is gonna it's not gonna stick so there are areas where you don't even want to think about design thinking and this is these are usually like repetitive work or factory work um you know you could apply some lean and you know six sigma things to it but you're really not it's not going to help to do a full um fledged you know multi-stage design thinking project in mm -hmm. in places where the work is fairly routine um the other two is is that and this is sort of in general for change management in general you can't just do a hundred percent bottom-up type of transformation. You, you need to have a sponsor higher up in the organization that can also um, sort of be able to corral the leadership um, and you know to help make sure that the change happens. And so there was research done to see where teams would go off and do a one to two day design thinking workshop and they were expected to sort of take all their learnings back to their office and then boom, they'd have all this new stuff they're doing. Well, it's more than just a one to two day workshop and, and um, you know, it, it needs to have sort of ongoing support for, for that, you know, for a new process to stick. So that there, there needs to be change management um, when, when you're trying to roll design thinking out with, within an organization as well. You know, that, that makes me think that, um, you know, it's so funny no matter how long we kind of work in this space, the human tendency to want, like, this is exactly what you do and it'll be perfect when it comes out. That's always kind of like my natural fallback. And then I have to come back to what I know to say, listen, it's just making a little bit of an improvement for the next iteration. You know, it's not perfection out the gate. Now we've solved uh, climate change, right? Or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's just as, as long as there's an iterative, you know, improvement, it's a massive success, right? It, you've, you've done it. Now do it again. And then these small changes is, is, is really the whole goal and what's to be expected, you know? Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Bruce, if you've uh, heard of... Uh, um, something called um, liberating structures. No, tell me about that. Man, I was only exposed to liberating structures maybe just um, maybe with, within the past month. And the idea is it's a collection of several kind of um, ways in which you can get consensus from a large group of people and it's mechanics on how you do that, like subdivide a problem and get it's it's kind of a tool set for avoiding the Abilene paradox and between mm. what you've discussed today on design thinking and these liberating structures I feel like my my um my to-do list on what to dive into and go deeper with is full for for a while now it's mm -hmm. it's it's a lot to unpack and get into it definitely something distinct from liberating structures but something together I think it can add some superpower going all the way back to how this um, conversation started. And, you know, can you uh, derive, can you paint a narrative, communicate that narrative, and then have the tools in your 
uh, toolbox to take a, a group of people to um, work through the problems of that narrative and come to some conclusion, you know? Um, so uh, how would you, how would you, um, uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to go deeper with design thinking or, or you in particular, you said you have some workshops. We, we want to give you opportunity to kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, talk about how to, how does someone go, uh, deeper with Bruce Gay or even external ways in which resources that have helped you go deeper in design thinking? Yeah, yeah. Well, for, first of all, I, I have a um, a monthly newsletter that I publish on sort of project management um, uh, trends and going on. And so that if, if you know, if your listeners want to um, sign up for that, it's at uh, brucegay.com slash um, sign up. Um, if not, it's also on the front page there at brucegay.com. Um, and so that's that's one of my side passions that I do. I sort of keep on top of what's going on in the project management community and you know the agile community as well. Um, and so for design thinking, there's there's actually you know quite a bit of material out there. I mentioned already the um, uh, the Stanford Design School. They have a um, sort of a boot camp, um, a PDF that you can download. Their, their website now is very complex, but if you can get your hands on the, the bootcamp PDF, that's um, the whole kit. It's about 50 pages and it has all the, the activities you need for each of the stages, um, helps you everything with um, you know, doing user research to doing the, the synthesis and definition of the problem to here's some ideas on how to do cheap prototyping and testing with your users. So it's, it's all in there. That one's pretty good. Ideo um, uh, frog collective that, that is another design agency that's been putting out quite a bit of um, uh, using design thinking for nonprofit um, type of activities, community activities, and they have really great free um, uh, resources for, um, for people to use to get uh, ramped up on, on design thinking. Um, the Double Diamond, that comes out of the, the UK um, Design Association. And then um, there's also sort of the Human-Centered um, Design Association that has some material as well. So there's, there's a lot on there. Um, I have a whole link on my blog at brucegay.com. So there's, there's a whole um set of resources that i i sort of point to from there and then um yeah i i give this um design thinking and project management one hour session about once every other month and so you know keep an eye on me at linkedin and uh, now that everything's virtual you can probably join these for free just have to look to see where they're at well that's awesome thanks bruce this has been awesome I think this has been eye-opening for myself. I, I speak for myself, good, good. Um, you know, and I, I just enjoy talking to to you and to Justice and to others about just different ways of thinking and going yeah, about things. Yeah, so yeah. this has been great. Yeah, and I, I hope I've demystified. I mean, this is it, it's a it's a very useful methodology and, and way of thinking. So it's mm -hmm. uh, my pleasure to you know continue to share with you guys. Great. Thanks. You've de demystified, but also, as all good knowledge does, it left me with more questions than answers, which yeah. is the way I like to be because <laughs> there's so much to dive deeper into. And so uh, my hopper's full. It's awesome. Nice. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Agilist podcast, where we examine and discuss all things related to agile and large-scale software delivery. You can find the latest podcast episodes and our latest blog post on our website, themodernagilist.net. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed listening to our content, please subscribe.